You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to this month's podcast here at LifeSpa.com. Today, we have a really special guest, a, an Ayurvedic chef that had, and a, who's written an amazing Ayurvedic cookbook, um, which is here, and we'll put that on our, our web as well. This is the Everyday Ayurvedic Cookbook. It's... It's, uh, I was just, and our, our guest is Kate O'Donnell. She's amazing. I'll read her bio in just a second. Um, this book, though, is so beautiful, uh, published by Shambhala. Uh, it's just so beautiful. It feels fantastic. The borders are just beautiful. I can't tell you. Um, you're going to love this book, and the recipes in here are really great. And that's what we're going to talk about today is get into how to navigate, you know, fall and winter from the Ayurvedic perspective through what you eat. Let me read you a little bit about Kate and bring her on. Kate is a nationally certified Ayurvedic practitioner. She's an Asanga yoga teacher, international presenter, author of three beautiful books published in five languages. She's also the founder of the Ayurvedic Living Institute, an online hub for education and resources for the Ayurvedic lifestyle. Kate, it's great to have you. I, I haven't seen you in a while. I know we, we, we uh, spent a lot of time uh, at Tropalo together. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and, and you know, how you got here. That's a good question, Dr. John. I, I'd have to say you're a part of how I got here, for sure. You're one of our teachers at Kripalu. And your work was awesome. I remember the, the, when I started, because I've always been into food. Like I'm just a food, food dork. I'm not, I'm actually not a chef. Like I've worked in a lot of cafes and natural food mm -hmm. stores and that kind of thing. But what's interesting is that I'm kind of an unlikely candidate in a way to have written all these cookbooks, but I started practicing and I was living in downtown Boston at the time, practicing Ayurveda and no one was cooking. A lot of my clients just didn't have a relationship with food or with their own kitchen. And I found that to be really problematic when the diet and the food is such a big part of how we maintain health and how we avoid disease. And it was like, I would, I'd want people to make changes in their diet, but then they find it very difficult because they didn't know how to cook. And so that's how I started writing these cookbooks was really just necessity being the mother of invention that, that it was like, there needed to be a book that was beautiful to the eye. And as you said, kind of tactile and would like pull people in, but also yeah. something like so simple, like really, because I found that if people are so busy already, they're like, please don't add more to my day. You know, don't add more to what I have to do. And so it, it, I became like a scientist in, in how to create recipes that people couldn't say no to. So it's like, I want them to open the book, look at the page and be like, I can do that. You know, a small list of ingredients, a photo that's actually of real food. You know, we didn't style it at all. We just like cooked the food and took the photos. And so I wanted to just create this like entree into the, the Ayurvedic kitchen that people just couldn't say no to basically. God, that is so brilliant really. Cause um, uh, I just think that, you know, people don't really cook anymore and you know i think like you said the the book is so beautiful and it feels so good and the pictures um you know cara did an amazing job the pictures are just um, they're going to die for i just can't even it just laid out so beautifully and i and i, I love that idea that 
you know, it's like, you know, cooking for dummies, right? So anybody can do it. And, and in our culture, and I think now with COVID and everything, for sure people are uh, having to cook again, really. And uh, which has been maybe one of the, there's a handful of silver linings, not many, but there are some. Um, and that's one of them. So that, that's, I love that. That makes it so, you know, enticing. So I know so many of our listeners are like busy, 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 and have something where they can just bang out healthy food. And you also wrote this book with regard to the seasons, which all of my listeners are, are really into that, you know, or at least know I'm into it. Um, and uh, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, your perspective on that. I, I love to hear your thinking on that. Well, that was also the, the necessity was the mother of invention in there as well. And that people, people would come to me and I'd say, hey, like, why aren't you cooking? And I'd say, well, I have these Ayurvedic cookbooks. I love them. They're great. But I don't know what my dosha is. And so I don't know if I'm cooking out of the right section of the book. And I heard that so many times that I was like, all right, we're, we're making a new book. We're taking the doshas away. We're just, we're not even going there, you know? And, and I, I also believe, as I know you do, that, that to eat seasonally and to shift the diet in relation to the qualities of our environment and the qualities we're experiencing in our body, I really think that knowing nothing about our, our individual constitution and just simply following a seasonal regimen can be enough for health maintenance and that we don't have to know more than that in order to like follow Ayurvedic cooking throughout the year. Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, when I, when I was in India and you spent a lot of time in India as well, um, um, <clears throat> I had one Ayurvedic doctor, he came here and I was hosting him. We were in the early days and uh, he was like, it's really interesting how you guys have assigned the body types to the foods, you know, yeah. Like that was not a concept in India. That was an American program where you fill out a body type questionnaire, you find out your type, you find out what tea you should drink, what oil you should smell, and a list of foods you can eat, and that's it. And everybody got pigeonholed and said, just like you said, ah, how do I feed my family? And they're all different body types. What do I do? It became so confusing. And I was going, that's not how it really works. I mean, just think of it logically. You think somebody came up with a body type questionnaire, you know, 3000 years ago and everybody had to eat different food when, you know, you only had what was in season period. There were no refrigerators. Right. So it didn't make any sense at all when you think about it logically. So I was really pleased to see that you were like, yeah, you know, it is Ayurvedic. You talk about the Ayurveda in the beginning and then you go right into Here's the foods and the, you know, for different seasons and how, how critically important it is for us to make those changes. And there's so much science behind that. You know, I, I, I got, when I, uh, I wrote a book, The Three Season Diet, which is about seasonal eating. That was the first book I wrote about it. And then, I, and nobody really read it. I mean, some, but, you know, it didn't really um, make a dent that I hoped it would make in our culture. Um, but then I read this study about deer. When deer eat, um, they eat uh, uh, bark in the winter and they have bugs and microbes in their gut to digest bark in the winter and they eat leaves in the summer and they have different bugs in their gut for digest leaves in the summer and the study showed that when they would actually eat bark in the summertime they had the wrong bugs it would cause such a level of indigestion it would kill the deer and i was like blown away one of those like are you kidding me deer die when they eat out of season what about us because we have no concept at that point i mean the vast majority of folks have no concept of 
eating anything and sees in the grocery stores don't have any concept of it. It's very difficult to navigate that. So I, I am, you know, and then now all the science is coming in, the bugs change from season to season to season, and how critically is important is to get the bugs out of the, you know, from the foods, because they have, they, they inoculate our, our guts with immunity bugs in the winter and, you know, allergy reducing bugs in the, in the spring and, you, you know, mm -hmm. cooling off bugs in the summer. Um, so it's a really beautiful idea that have eating seasonal foods. Um, so when you think about the foods, you, you, you also, I, what I thought was really cool in your book, you also listed the gunas, the different qualities of the foods. I thought you did a really beautiful job listing, because there's 20 of them, listing the foods that go with each of those gunas, which I'm sure was probably no easy task to, to list all the different foods for those gunas because they're so subtle, the differences sometimes, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, so from your perspective, in terms of like what people can, how they can navigate, like going into the season that we're going into, into winter um, here today, we're actually, it's September something, and it's snowing here. It's crazy. No, yeah, wow. It's literally, it's gonna, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't even understand. I mean, it's crazy world on every level. Um, but um, so tell me about, tell me about what are the, 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 you know, how do people navigate the season? Do they, do they learn about the qualities? Do they learn about the taste? Do they just follow a list? Is there some, you know, beautiful thing about Ayurveda is it's so intuitive, instinctive, really. Is there a way people can just like automatically know this is in season and this is not, and this is right or this is wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. One, one take home for, for people about seasonal grocery shopping that I always share is, is just go to the farmer's market. Like find, oh, yeah. find the farmer's market because you can't buy things that are out of season there. And it's like, I find it to be a bit of a discipline myself that I have to go on that. They're only open two days a week, you know, and I have to like go over to this field outside of town. And, but it's like, it's, I really think it's one of the most important things that we can do to improve our gut health and to get seasonal and local food is just just find your farmers you know find whatever those places are in in your hometown and shop there and i think that's kind of like then you don't even have to really think about it you're just getting seasonal food you know and then the thing i don't want people to do dr john is make a list like i don't want people to follow a list of like foods that are good and foods that are bad because then we've we've completely separated ourselves from the experience of the body and how it's reacting to the gunas, you know, to the qualities that are in our environment, the qualities that are in our body and the qualities that are on our plate that are in our food. So it's like, if we were to talk about uh, winter, you know, fall and winter, we know that in the Northern hemisphere, it's cold, it's dry, like a lot of that moisture in the air that you have in the humidity in the summer, in that rainy time in the spring, a lot of that is even frozen. So there isn't as much moisture available to our bodies. And if we're inside with the heat on, that's even more dry. It's like we have sort of an artificial climate that's, that's really something to contend with for those of us who are indoors with the heat on in, in northern climates. So you really get this cold and you really get this dry. And it's affecting our bodies. So the rule of thumb is to eat foods that are warm and foods that are moist. And so moisture can come from oils, like in nuts and seeds, 
cooking with ghee, coconut oil, coconut milk, olive oil, like all the good fats basically are moisture. And we could even do something as simple as cook our grains with a little more water in the, in the very dry time of year. And then make sure that our food is warm and that the water that we drink is warm. Like it's, these are very simple things that, that we can feel. You know, it's like you can feel that you're dry. And so what I wanted to really explain to people in the, the way that I write about the qualities is, is to get people so that they feel them, so they know what they are. So it's like when you eat a cracker, you're like, wow, you know, this is dry. Like I can feel the experience of that. And it's, it may still be made out of wheat, which is where, where you eat like wheat bread, it's having a different quality. So it's, you know, it's, you're experiencing the way that the food's been processed. It's been dried out. So if we can eat less dried out food and more sort of sumptuous and moist food in the dry season, we're not going to go through six months of dry weather and then up with dry skin at the end, you know, dandruff, dry scalp, dry eyes, all these kind of signs that our bodies give us of, that we're cold and that we're dry. So if people, if we're just looking for a list of do's and don'ts, we're going to miss out on that whole process. That's why, what is it that that, that, crack, that cracker challenge where you have to eat so many crackers and you have to say something, you know, nobody can do it. But then you got these guys eating a hundred hot dogs, which is like, you know, right. way more moist, right? Right, you know, right. You eat like five crackers and you can't say a word, but, but uh, I think these guys can take it on hot dogs. You know, yeah. not that hot dogs are good for you, don't get me wrong. But uh, no, I think that's the really great and brilliant advice. It's really simple. And, and I think that's the idea of, obviously your, your mission was to write something that people could just get and utilize and not be thinking about it. And that's what I love. That's what got me into Ayurveda is I loved it that you didn't have to think about it. You could just plug in logic and go, it works. And that's why the whole idea of eating according to your body type to me, was like, wait a minute. Um, if you're a Pitta body type, you're supposed to be cooling fruits and vegetables and it's January in Vermont in the year 1800. How do you eat? What do you eat? doesn't exist right so nature wouldn't wouldn't support that idea so but that doesn't mean that you don't that you disregard your body type right i mean you still want to understanding your body type understands your your uh your, your weaknesses and your strengths right and 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 you don't want to overdo that maybe let's talk a little bit about that too like you know i know that you didn't do the body type for a reason because it's so confusing but what's the, what, how do you explain that to people who know about their body type? And then they, you know, how do you, how do you plug that body type piece in? Mm. The one thing I'll always recommend is that when people are considering like what their body type is, that they give it a full annual cycle, that they observe the way that their body reacts to the changes in the climate over the course of all of the seasons that are available in their climate. And so if, say, someone's a Pitta type, we know they're a little bit hot and a little bit snigda, a little bit oily, and they are going to naturally react to hot and oily weather. So when it's like humid and hot, they're going to they're gonna feel it, you know, it's going to irritate them, aggravate them. And then foods that also are hot, like uh, tomatoes and oily things like fried foods, it's going to bother them in the time of year that has those same qualities. And then in the, in the winter, they're feeling refreshed and they can enjoy French fries where they can't in the summer. So if we follow through and be patient, 
and give it a whole annual cycle, people are going to, they're going to start to figure it out because of how their unique body is reacting to the climate. You mentioned tomatoes, right? And tomatoes, we know in Ayurveda, are a little bit heating because the skin is very acidic. Um, and there's a, a, you know, a lot of folks now who think that tomatoes are poisonous and the lectins inside of them are poisonous and we should never eat them. And um, I wonder what your take is on, on, you know, I think, you know, I wanted to call my first book, Preseason Diet, You Can Eat It All, just in season you know, and stop thinking about what you shouldn't eat, start thinking about what you can eat. And I think that you and I are both on that same page. And I, I'm curious, let's just talk about the whole lectin and don't eat wheat and don't eat dairy and don't eat nuts and seeds and grains and beans and legumes. And you're going, oh my gosh, what do I eat? Half the planet, you know, you know, we wouldn't be here, you know, as a species if people didn't eat rice and beans and now they're out, right? You know, or at least the beans are out. So how do you, how do you navigate around that? I think you were the first one to to that I heard say, you can eat it all, just at the right time, right. you know, in the right amount. And, and I really do, I live that way, you know, like I eat everything, but not mm -hmm. all the time, you know, like I'll have dairy in the winter because it has those moist qualities and it's very right. nutritious at that time, I'll avoid it in the spring. You know, and I definitely am shifting my diet seasonally but when you look back to, like one of the things that I found confusing is tomato, is every, back to the tomato. South Indian food, most of my time has been in the South. South Indian food, there's tomato everywhere. And I'm, I'm thinking, how is this working for you? You know, this chili and tomato, it's like all this hot stuff. But one thing I've learned from cooking with women in South India is that when they're gonna use a lot of tomatoes, they always parboil them and take the skins off. They all, you know, they, and I never heard about that from my family. You know, we didn't do that. You just slice it and you make caprese salad, right? It's not like you, there's a preparation for a lot of these foods that makes them more digestible. Whereas I think it, wheat is another example you brought up, Dr. John, like what we've done to wheat and to the glutinous aspect of wheat through the processing in this country, especially is making us sick. So it's, it's not the wheat's fault, you know? And, and so there's different ways we can take like a quality wheat. Like you can get good wheat now. They call it, there's a company near me, I live in Maine, and they have, it's called Wheat You Can Eat. And it's, it's their growing wheat in Maine. It's like an heirloom variety. And when I eat that wheat, it's a completely different food. You know, it tastes different. And my dad's got a real problem he can't digest wheat, he can eat this stuff. He's making pancakes, you know, he's, he's making sandwiches and it's, it's fine, you know? So I think a part of the Ayurvedic cooking is also in processing foods in certain ways to increase their digestibility. I think also, you know, like your whole book is really about seasonal eating. So, you know, wheat is harvested in the fall and so are all the other grains, which are very starchy. And there's an enzyme called amylase, which we acquired like 2 million years ago. Usually you only express a gene because you've been eating, you need that gene to help you because you've been doing that thing for a while and the body goes, why don't we just make it automatic? Well, we automatically make our own amylase now for digesting wheat and grains and starches. And that still in our bodies today in a circadian way, increase in the fall in our bodies and decrease in the spring and summer when there's no wheat available. So I think there's a lot of 
this idea of like, don't eat all these foods. Well, if we would just eat them in season, the body, the body's microbes change from season to season, like the deer thing, right? And then you don't overwhelm, you don't, like if you just eat starch, 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 wheat, 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 wheat for your whole life, you're going to get nothing but bugs in your gut that know how to do starch and really nothing else. And then you become really good at delivering sugar into your bloodstream. Then you become really good at getting prediabetes and diabetics, you know, diabetes. And that's, that's what we have is a culture of that because we've, we lost our rhythms, our connection to nature, which is Ayurveda 101. And I think that's the other thing that happens with seasonal eating. And this cookbook is so cool because you get to this like super simple, easy, get, you know, on board eating and choosing some seasonal recipes because it's really critically important that our bugs change and therefore, and more importantly than that, we don't overwhelm our system with the same food again and again and again. And nature never did. Just like you said, the seasons change dramatically in the different seasons. You feel your body changing from season to season. And nature, of course, provides the antidote so you don't, over, you don't get overwhelmed with cough or congestion or mucus in the spring or extra heat or inflamed inflammation in the summer, things like that. So I think that's another piece of the puzzle that people need to, need to remember. What is your, <clears throat> this is a trick question really, because probably nobody has the answer to it, but I'm just curious what your, your um, ideal diet is, like how much protein, fat, carbohydrates, meat, animal protein, should we be vegan, should we be vegetarian, should we be keto? Everybody's so confused by that. I've written a lot of articles trying to help explain it, um, but it, as much as I try to explain it, um, it's still perplexing. You know, I think, the, I think the thing with a lot of these different diets is it's all, as you just described, it's all like too much of one thing, too much of the same thing. And, and what we really need to do is embrace the fact that it's, there's a truth here that we can eat everything. Like that, it's true for human beings that we can enjoy different foods as they come into season. And I think a part of this that like listeners can, can like work with this and take this home is, is that the body has cravings. When those microbes change, you know, the ones that digest wheat, they start waking up when the weather starts getting cold and dry and the wheat starts cut, you know, getting ready for harvest. The body knows it, it will, you will crave. And I, I'm in this place where, you know, the fall comes and all of a sudden it's like what I was eating for breakfast in the summer is completely no longer okay. Like I'm going to eat my arm about an hour later if I don't change my food and start eating oats and wheat, you know, and increasing the amount of ghee and that sort of thing. And what I like about like using the everyday Ayurveda cookbook is that like it's got enough recipes and ideas that we can get people through a year of eating seasonal food. And I really believe that within a year or two of, of this practice, the, you're going to be able to trust your cravings, you know, and, and then it's like the body is going to naturally crave what's coming from the earth. And that's the key. Yeah, I think you're so right on, you know, it reminded me of a, a patient that I had, she came in a few years back and she, she uh, it was like March or April or something like that. And she goes, you know, I feel so much better. Um, my depression is better. My mood's better. My energy's better. My bowel movements are better. Everything's good except that I have no appetite. Because all I want is salad. I just want to eat greens and salad all day long, but I've lost my appetite. And I was like, everything, I went through everything on her list that she wanted to call. Everything was better. And I looked and I said, 
you know, it's April, it's spring. This is the time where the body's bugs are changing. <clears throat> We're actually burning fat and fiber more efficiently. We have different bugs for that. And that's stable energy. It's the fasting time. It's where all the fasting, you know, holidays happen, Lent and Ramadan and all that, Passover. These are the times where people don't eat and the body flips into fat burning naturally. So you reset your ability to burn fat in the, in the spring and carbs in the summer before winter to store all the extra to get, make it through the, before the winter, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I just think that's what you, your point is so beautiful because that's exactly what happens once you get into this, your body will crave exactly what you need as opposed to having these crazy cravings because you're so out of whack, you know, the body's just reaching out for emergency fuel in some way, shape or form, like, you know, caffeine yeah. or whatever it might be, yeah. Yeah, and as you as you already pointed out, Dr. John, like the body, when we overdo something, the body, like, it tends to crave that because it knows, oh, we get energy from coffee. Great, all right, so we're gonna crave coffee. You know, and so that's where if, if our listeners are, if they're willing to like give it a go and do a year of seasonal eating, their cravings are gonna become natural. You know, and it's, it's then your body leads you in the right direction. And it's not, it's not this cerebral situation where we're saying that X, Y diet is the best thing. It's like, if you wanna be vegan, awesome, do it in the spring. That'll be, that'll work. If you want to do keto, great. Do it in the winter. Great idea. You know, and, and then you can see that there is an efficacy to all these different diets, these different ways of eating, and they're going to affect the body in appropriate ways at, at different times of year, inappropriate ways at other times. No, I'm so glad you said that. That's so beautiful. It's exactly how I think too. It's like, yeah, those, all those diets were, this is why Ayurveda is so cool because it doesn't make anybody wrong. It actually makes all these diets right just in their appropriate time. We just plug in nature, which is like, you know, sort of the elephant in the room, like, okay, when was this stuff harvested, you know? So uh, another trick question is coffee. Everybody's into their coffee. It's like a you know, billion dollar industry now. Coffee used to be bad, now it's good. Um, I, you know, I'm not a fan of caffeine. Um, I think that, uh, but, but uh, you know, what's your take? When is coffee in season? People want to know, when can they drink their coffee? Yeah, I, I'm, I am a self-proclaimed caffeine addict. I have a, a thing with caffeine. Like, we have a love affair for sure. I can't drink coffee, however. I am a pitch really? predominant. Yeah, I can't do it. It, it, it well, causes... Do you, how, do you get your ca how do you get your caffeine? Tea. Just, just black tea. tea. Yeah. Okay. Yep, just black tea. If I drink coffee, like, all sorts of weird things happen to my skin and my bowels. And it's like, just totally not. I think it's your Irish genes. I'm obviously assuming that you're Irish with a name yes. like Kate O'Donnell. And yeah. It's probably <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent Irish. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's probably why your family loved the, the, the skin on the tomatoes because they were in Ireland and freezing to death. They yeah. Wanted more tomato. <laughs> I'm ah. just kidding. But yeah, go ahead. Tell me about how you, how you get your caffeine. And I think it's great. I think it's fine, but I, but uh, um, I'm just so curious because that question just keeps popping up. And, and uh, yeah, and I think tea is, is such a, a milder form of, of such, a, such less of a bowel irritant because it has so many. Yeah. Um, well, explain it to me. What do you think the difference between tea and why did you have trouble with the coffee and not have trouble with the tea? And they're both caffeine. I think that the, well, the coffee has different qualities. It is, it is slightly oily where tea is dry. And it's also more heating than tea. So, so we've got those two gunas. We've got hot and oily in coffee. 
in a way that is not present in tea. So although we know that caffeine also increases heat and dries out the body, when you, when you put it with coffee, you get this, it's the, the hot and the oily thing, which for me, that's where I get the skin problems. It aggravates the pitta in the blood. And then I start getting kind of, you know, breakouts and stuff. And I also get the irritants in the bowel from, from coffee, not in a way that happens with tea. And even with the tea, I still kick it twice a year. I do the spring and the fall. I take a month off with caffeine. Mm-hmm. at least a month, you know, and I let, and like these circles under my eyes go away and I start sleeping better. And it's, I really think that if people want to take caffeine, they need to not be on it for a long enough period of time in every annual cycle that they can realize the power of that substance and what, what it's doing in their body. And then when you come back onto it, you can see all the things that maybe it is causing a problem. If, if people want to take the coffee, I think the time to take it is when it's cold out because it is very heating. So my craving will come on around November and then it goes away when it starts to get rainy, when we're no longer in the freezing temperatures. So I'll, I'll be able to kick it in April. So November to April is like caffeine season in our household. Yeah. <laughs> we drink the tea. I think it's sort of interesting. I know when I remember as a kid, the first time I drank coffee, it was like I drank it. It tasted disgusting. And I put a bunch of, I put, you know, the first thing that they gave it to me straight black, which was gross. And then they put, you know, sugar in it and milk and it was better. But it was within minutes I was in the bathroom. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of kids have that instant reaction, you know, like, whoa, what a powerful, you know, you know, you know, bowel moving agent it was. And as just as you said, it has irritating qualities to the intestinal tract. It's like, a, and, and I thought you described it so beautifully, it's like oil and fire. It's like an oil fire. Can you imagine? And you know how hot oil burns? It burns so hot and so irritating and it's so inflammatory. And I, you know, as I got older, I did coffee for a while, but, but um, you know, I could definitely feel that it would affect my intestinal lining. And when it affects your intestinal lining, you irritate the gut lining, it inflames, produces mucus, the little villi bog down, and then you get congestion inside and around the mesentery lymph or the rasa datu, we call it, on the outside lymph. So you get a big old belly. And that's why a lot of people have these big bellies is because we're taking all these bowel irritants in their gut and they don't realize it's happening. You know, they don't, they don't, cause they just think coffee. Once you irritate the gut enough, you desensitize yourself to the coffee. You don't even know it's happening. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. And I, I love your description as why tea is better, obviously less caffeine, but it's also doesn't have, it doesn't have the, you know, it's not an oil fire in your gut. You know, it's, a, it's a smoother ride, you know? Um, so yeah, it's quite beautiful. I know I can drink black tea. I'm completely off caffeine these days. Um, which I love. And the other thing I think is really good to note is that, you know, when you start thinking about your coffee in the morning, or you start thinking about that glass of wine at night, or you start thinking about, you know, whatever it is you're thinking about that you need, all of a sudden, like, you're not in control anymore. You know what I mean? Like, something has control over you. And I think that's a good time, like you said, take a break, take a couple months off, break that cycle, give your body a reset, and then you can go back to season. I know, like, I was uh, opening... Um, my my one of my daughters runs a foundation where they have pen pal relationships with kids in Uganda and kids in uh, here in, in elementary school kids here, and um, and I'm reading their letters because I'm so I'm collating all these pen pal letters and stuff and I'm reading these letters and one of the little girls said he goes 
I'm so excited because grasshopper season's coming and we get to eat grasshoppers all day long, like an unending amount of grasshoppers. And clearly it was a craving for her, you know what I mean? But it's, thank God, a seasonal thing, right? They come and they go. And when they come, it's like Christmas, they get to eat grasshoppers all day long and then they're gone. And that's was sort of interesting. You know, obviously we all have our own different cultural cravings. Uh, uh, but the point being is that, that it's here and maybe grasshoppers all year round would rip your guts to shreds or you, who knows what would happen. Um, but, uh, but these things come in season and that's the other reason coffee like in season or caffeine in season is going to be way more doable than just every single day, twice a day. It's crazy, right? Um, all right. So let's get back on track with cooking. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about um, foods, you know, we're moving into, into winter. Um, what are some of the, what are, I, I want you to go over a couple of recipes that you could share like a breakfast and a lunch and a supper. Like what should people eat for breakfast, lunch, and supper in the winter time that makes them feel really good, easy to do. Um, and also any other kind of just winter tips that you can give us to help people, you know, take home like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Easy, peasy. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I'll recommend kind of across the board, if, if people are in a dry winter is to increase ghee in the diet, which my newest book has a couple fun recipes for ways to get ghee going. Like there's a chai spice ghee that's super easy to make and you can have it on toast. You can put it in oats and in cereal. There's also a rosemary infused ghee recipe. Again, really easy to make with all that rosemary that might be coming up this fall. And that can be used to roast vegetables. So a lot of the things, yeah, a lot of the things we have in the fall are roots, you know, like uh, sweet potatoes, beets, carrots, uh, parsnips, a lot of root vegetables. So we're definitely in the habit of baking. Like I bake, I'll bake a whole tray of sweet potatoes and do all sorts of different things with them. And that's great if you have a big family too, because everybody yeah. tends to like a sweet potato, you know, and I'll... One of the things I do is, and this is a nice dinner, especially if you get home, you don't have time to do something fancy, is I'll take a sweet, I call it the yam bomb. <laughs> it's, it's a sweet potato or a yam. You cut a slice down the middle and kind of squish it to open, open the, the space inside. And I'll put a, uh, a teaspoon or two of ghee and then a tablespoon or two of tahini on top of that, sesame butter. And then tahini, I'll okay, tahini, yeah. yeah. And then I'll sprinkle uh, cinnamon or nutmeg, or ginger powder, or I make a, a spice mix that's in my book. That's uh, ginger powder, cinnamon, and a little bit of cardamom powder mixed together. So I sort of sprinkle that on the top of the yam bomb, and that's just a really easy thing to do with a sweet potato. Another thing I'll do is I'll after I bake them, I'll scoop the flesh out and use it in muffins. So I have recipes that are almond flour and uh, an egg and a half a cup of sweet potato flesh. You just mix those together. The almond flour is great because it's super moist. It's got like the fat from the almonds and the egg kind of lightens it and puffs it up and makes it come out like a muffin. And this then it's got the sweet potato, gives it a nice color. A little bit of ghee. So, so you make muffins with that? Is that what you said? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things I do muffin wise that people can, can easily get on board with like a, an egg, a cup of almond flour and a half a cup of some sort of 
squash or sweet potato flesh that's been baked. So it's kind of like, it's like the mashed banana. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. might be familiar with those recipes, but mixing banana in with all that other stuff would be what we call incompatible food combining. So that's where I always replace that banana flesh with a squash or a sweet potato or something. And that's and great. That, now, is that going to be sweet enough for the, for the sweet tooth folk? I think people could absolutely put a, a couple of tablespoons of maple syrup in there. That's in what some of my recipes will have that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, because if you don't, I think part of the problem is, it, is some, some of us want to make sugar a bad guy too. Like natural sweeteners are okay, especially in the wintertime. I find that a lot of people try to eat, um, it's almost like they're trying to be too healthy. So they overdo the bitter and astringent tastes that come in vegetables. So they might eat like too much greens. And in the wintertime, if you were to eat a plate that was like two thirds green and one third dense food, that could be really aggravating. That could cause a person to have sugar cravings because the mm. meal itself is, that might be fine in spring and summer, but in the wintertime, it's like we, we need to eat naturally sweet things like these root vegetables, use a little bit of maple syrup in our baking or in our cereal if we will crave it. Use dates, you know, I'll put date, I'll chop dates and add them into cookies and muffins and things like that. So that we are getting that sweet taste and then we don't end up eating an entire chocolate bar later on. So can you, I think that that's such a beautiful, important point is that kind of the hidden sweet foods in, that are in nature that are harvested in the fall for the winter to do exactly what you said is to balance that that the cold properties or the vata. Um, what are some of the other really sweet foods that people don't think about as sweet? Um, all of the grains are, yeah. are considered as sweet taste in Ayurvedic cooking. So, you know, you've got your oatmeal is, is considered sweet, a sweet dish. And um, a lot of my recipes I use whole grains, different kinds, like quinoa, buckwheat. Buckwheat is delicious. So if people are looking for, and the interesting thing is that buckwheat is actually a berry, not a grain. So I have a recipe for a breakfast that I tend to turn to in the fall a lot because buckwheat is actually a little bit heavy. One of its, its qualities is its density. So it gives you this like really satisfying breakfast that kind of sticks to your ribs. So instead of using oats, I make oatmeal, but it's the same process, but I use um, roasted buckwheat, which they call kashi. So you can buy, you know, anywhere you buy grains. And then I'll cook mm -hmm. an apple into it. And an apple is, I don't know if that's a hidden sweet food, but apples are very sweet. And mm -hmm. as you pointed out a lot, they do wonderful things for helping your body get rid of accumulated heat from the summer in the fall because apples kind of make you poop. So this eating like cooked apples is just a great, it's such a great fall food. I do, I bake it into my, I do baked apples. So it's travel, you can even put one in a, in a little case and like send it off in a lunch and just eat the baked apple. There's um, a lot of apple in my buckwheat recipe and like a breakfast, so could just cook it in there. People can put it in their oats add a couple of dates. Those are not a hidden sweet. Those are very sweet. But a date or two is so satisfying. I think if, if we think we need ice cream, we might be fine if we just had a date. 
with a little bit of almond butter on it, something like that. So one thing we do in the winter is eat grain. We definitely eat grains. You made a beautiful point in your book about fruit and, you know, and, and I think particularly about apples, how, you know, because in Ayurveda, you know, everybody's asking, like, why can't I eat fruit with my food? And, uh, and so, I, so that's one question. Why can't we eat fruit with our food? And then also what your response was with apples about cooking it and, and what the difference was I thought was really brilliant. Can you share us, share us uh, your mm. thinking on that? Yeah, and this is, this is the number one most asked question in my life is like, what are the rules about fruit? <laughs> and everyone is like very concerned with when did I get to eat fruit? Because, you know, Ayurveda says not to mix fruit with food. And we know from Western science that they digest at a different rate, right? So it's like if we're cooking rice and, you know, we put the rice in the water, we're boiling it, and then we decide, oh, I'm going to add some more raw rice to that, you know, for the last 10 minutes of cooking. And then you end up with this rice that's half cooked and half uncooked. And that's what happens to our, our digestive juice, which we call the ahara rasa. That happens in your stomach when you eat a food that's going to, about to be digested and sort of dropped through the trap door out of the stomach and into the next part of the digestive process. But if we put something else in there that digests at a different rate, then we end up with this like half, half digested and half putrefied. So that's why the mixing the fruit with the food is not recommended. However, if we cook the fruit with the food, they can, as Dr. Svoboda says, they work out their differences in the pot. And people, you can, listeners can be my guest and try. You know, eat a raw apple after you have your breakfast cereal. Or, and then see what happens. You know, what people might notice is, is gas and bloating because the apple has, apples are very cold. Their quality is cold. And they're also a little bit hard, a little bit rough. They aggravate vata. So when we cook them, their qualities then become a little more dense, a little softer, a little smoother. And so the whole thing goes down easier. There's a lot more smooth in the digestion. So they, I think the distinction about fruit with food is that we cook them together or we keep them apart. So raw fruit and food, I don't take them together. Like I don't put fruits in my salads. I'll find I get very gassy and bloated if I do that. But in the wintertime, I'm cooking pears, I'm cooking apples, I'm cooking all these things together, like an apple crisp kind of a deal. And it does not cause the same problems because we've increased the density, the softness, and the smoothness of the fruit through the cooking process. No, I love that. I love that idea. I definitely it's very controversial and even um, I've heard in the Ayurvedic world, and this is also about Ayurveda too, you hear it's, it's um, sometimes you hear, um, you know, controversial opinions, and I definitely heard that that even cooking the fruits also taboo. But I love if, what you're saying, and and if uh, Robbie Sabota is promoting it, I'm going to buy that program. Uh, and I think, uh, and it, and I think I think more importantly, I'm just sort of kidding about that because you'll hear different things. Is my point, but I think the most the most important piece of the puzzle is. You do it and you see how you feel exactly. and you taste it and then you go, wow, that was different than just like you said, having that cold apple on my cold cereal with cold milk versus, you know, cooking that together or cooking out all that together, but just cooking your apple into, you know, an, an oatmeal or something would be 
would be great. So I love that for the winter. Oatmeal with some fruit cooked into it, which is great. Um, for, for, you know, I love the uh, Mr. Potato idea where you can uh, completely spice up a sweet potato and then even make muffins for it. I, I, love, I love that. Um, uh, how about a dinner recipe? Have anything to help us navigate dinner in the, in the winter? Yeah, I, I, this is a simple one. If people eat eggs, I make a frittata a lot. And I don't put cheese in it because that would, that again in Ayurveda, the cheese is it's very heavy, it's very dense, it's very oily, and it's also cool. So cheese is not, it's not easy to digest. It's like the kind of, you know, cheddar or Parmesan or that kind of stuff. So my frittata recipe has a ton of vegetables in it, a ton of ghee, but it doesn't have cheese, which makes it much more digestible. And it's just a bunch of your eggs from your chickens or from your farmer's market. And that is a super easy dinner. And I'll put, I'll cook down a bunch of kale or Swiss chard, any of those hearty greens, which will be in all, all of my winter recipes. Because they're the main, and that's, that's all we're getting <laughs> for as far as greens go, are these like the, the we'll get chard, we'll get kale, um, Brussels sprouts, and um, what's the other one? The other dark green. Um, well, you got your, your kale, Brussels sprouts, chard. Swiss chard. Oh, collards. That's the other one. Um, yeah. Collard greens, yeah. So I'll, whatever I'll get, I'll cook them down in ghee, put them in the pan, and then just whip the eggs, put some turmeric in there, throw that on and bake it. And the other thing I do a ton of is, is kitchery, but I do variations on the theme because People know about kitchery from their seasonal cleanses, where they just eat the white rice and the split mung bean, which in my experience, that doesn't contain enough fiber for people a lot of the time. So I have all these different kitchery variations that I'll do. Like one of the ones that's a great winter dinner is a French lentil kitchery. So it's one part of the little green poi lentils, also known as French lentils, which are, they're very small, so they digest a lot better than the brown lentil. Okay. So the, the rule, you know, in Ayurveda is the smaller the bean, the easier it breaks down. So these right. large beans are going to be tough, tougher to digest. So a little green poi lentil or French lentil, one cup of that, one cup of brown rice, and then I season it with wing. So I cook those two together for about an hour. And then wing is a spice that is very, very tasty. It's a neighbor of, uh, caraway so people like that taste like from your rye bread it's a little bit like that and it's just so exciting like it adds this whole new flavor and it's very pungent and really increases the digestive fire so i temper that in ghee and add it towards the end of the cooking of the rice and the lentils and then i add a little tamari i like to use like a high quality tamari nama shoyu or even like a liquid aminos in the winter time because they like they add that kind of flavor adds this real depth and it's the salty taste so it's mm. the salt is a part of how we balance the, the cold and the dry in the winter time so I'll, I'll make it like a little bit like salty a little spicy with the ajwain a good amount of ghee and then you get this really robust dish because of the the brown rice and the poi lentils are a lot um 
thicker and richer. So it's one of my favorite kind of go-tos in cold weather. Hmm. I love it. That sounds so good. So we're going to, we'll make sure everybody gets that <clears throat> recipe and gets it up and they can look at that. You mentioned, which I was so glad that you mentioned about your spicing and then spices and how important they are. And I think in the winter, um, spicing, well, in our culture, all seasons of spicing is really important. Um, talk a little bit about how important spices are and, and what are your like top spices in the winter that help people navigate, um, you know, the cold and the dryness of winter. So when we talk about these gunas, these qualities that are in food, like things are warm or they're moist or they're dry, spices contain uh, concentrated amounts of those gunas. So when you use a spice, it's like you're getting, say, like tenfold the amount of the quality. So if I use Oswein, it's pungent and it's going to add this like warmth from just a half a teaspoon or so of Audrain adds its full warmth to the dish. Mm -hmm. And so I reach a lot for things like that. I use fresh, fresh black pepper, simple though it may be, is one of my favorite condiments in the winter time. And it's, it's hot, it's very hot and sharp. And so the thing that happens in the winter is we eat these more dense, harder to digest, slower to digest foods. And so we balance that by adding spices that have a little bit more pungency in the winter time. And those spices are often cooked in ghee, which releases then the medicinal qualities into the ghee that then infiltrates the entire dish, sort of cooks all of those qualities throughout the meal. Then the body's tissues are able to absorb the, those qualities better because of it having been cooked in ghee. So you'll see a lot of like tempering of something like Ajwain, which is not like special. That's like a bonus spice, but because you can't just get it anywhere. It's something like uh, mustard seed, I recommend across the board, cumin seed. Another easy one that a lot of people have, they're familiar with the taste. It's not gonna blow anybody out of the water. So I'll, I'll tend to roast together often, um, cumin seed, mustard seed, and then I'll add coriander because coriander is a one that is a little bit cool so that we're not just overloading. And that's one thing you'll find with this idea in Ayurveda about balancing the six tastes. So when we do that, we're getting not too much of one quality, not too much heat, but also a little bit of cool. So everything kind of, kind of comes out uh, satisfied in the end. So the, I think my favorites in the winter are going to be the cumin and the mustard seed. And then adding a little coriander will just balance that out. It's delicious. Mm, I love that. I love, you know, the, the, uh, the idea of spicing our food, um, something that I think is, it's really, really lost. And I think there's magic. You mentioned <clears throat> soaking it all or cooking it or tempering it in ghee. Um, I'm curious what your take is on, on ghee. Obviously, ghee is a big Ayurvedic food, but, you know, you know, still, you know, it's a saturated fat and, and you know, it uh, seems like it keeps coming and going, the research on saturated fat. You know, one minute you think saturated fats are in and then they're out and then they're in. If you read the science, you can go absolutely nuts. So I'm curious what you think about eating so much ghee and so much saturated fat. Um, I would imagine that it's okay if you do that, if you don't do something else, like you don't eat the bad fats um, or something like that. But uh, what's your take on the, 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 the you know, the saturated fat? Because I get, I'm sure you do too, you get a lot of pushback on that. 
but well, one thing is that I get my information from mostly two places. One is the classical Ayurveda texts, and the other is my body and its experience. And then I'm doing, I'm always researching uh, my clients too. And anytime I'm anywhere, how do you digest eat? Oh, really? How much can you eat? So I'm always like getting this, I'm researching by talking to people a lot about food. Um, but I, you know, I grew up like not eating avocados because they said they were bad for this long period of time. And so I lived in Maui and I didn't eat avocados. And then I turn around, I'm back on the mainland and, and suddenly avocados are good. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. You know, you can't tell me not to eat something for a decade and then the next decade tell me that it's good. And so I started really delving into the information in the classical text about different foods. And to me, it seemed like thousands of years of human trial and error. You know, like how did they get this information? So the texts tell us that ghee is, it's like the king of all the cooking oils. It's the number one. And that it has a, a prabhav, which is like a, um, almost a mystical talent, right? Where it has an ability to bring medicines into the body without bringing its own qualities. So it's like the number one anupana or vehicle for a lot of herbal medicines. And I think of food itself as medicine. And when I add ghee to my food, I, I feel that this is my belief, you know, that it's bringing the nutrition into the tissues of my body in a very particular way that's described, you know, from thousands of years of uh, the acharyas observing human bodies and what happens when they eat ghee. So to me, that's the way I go at it. I just, I'm like, I'm going with, with, with the thousands of years of trial and error and, and I don't need to just take it for granted. I'm also gonna look at my own body. And one mm -hmm. thing I know is ghee does not make, make me get fat. But if I eat bad fat, like if I go to a grocery store and get a muffin or a cake or something like that, that has like a canola oil, or vegetable oil, or these kind of, um, these very processed vegetable oils, I will see my body change. If I eat that for like a week, I will see the fat. And that doesn't happen to me when I eat beans, when I eat high quality olive oil, when I eat uh, coconut oil. So for me, that's an experience that I'm having that, that sort of confirms what the tests say about the yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I, I try to add that other pillar, which is not just experience and the ancient texts, time-tested wisdom, but also modern science, which is the least reliable of all of them because, you know, they could prove whatever they want to prove depending on who's funding the study. We see that all the time. But I still think it's, a, it's, it's what I write about. I try to connect all those dots, but I think it's, um, it's sometimes a little bit tricky. I, I think you're 100% right. When you eat all the processed, highly cooked, bleached, boiled, deodorized fats in that are, make bread stay forever squishy, mm -hmm. uh, and you eat that, uh, and then you add saturated fat, you're in big trouble. Um, you can't add, you know, because that's that the oil in that bread is indigestible not only to us but to our microbes, because microbes eat oil, but they don't eat that. That's why it doesn't go bad anymore on the shelf. So when you put that bread in your body, 
that the bugs won't eat on the shelf. They ain't gonna eat it inside of you either. So where do all that oil go? It goes right to your liver, your gallbladder. And it congests your liver, gallbladder, makes bile sludge the number one abdominal surgery in America today is a gallbladder removal surgery. And then you add saturated fat on top of a sludgy bile and you're in big trouble, right? You need a lot of bile to emulsify all that. And I think that's, that's where we go wrong. I think what you said is you know, really understanding time-tested wisdom. Um, and if you're gonna do ghee, you gotta stop doing some other stuff. You, know, you can't just do ghee and then have you know, you know, Wonder Bread, whatever, you know, or any kind of bread that has oil in it, or all those vegetables, anything. You just gotta avoid that stuff because it's just super highly processed. And then you can go and eat a more traditional diet, which is, uh, which is really, really great. Um, Kate, any last words, thoughts, you know, advice for us for the winter before we sign off? I would, I would say to enjoy cooked water is a great idea for the winter time. So when you, again, the text, they, they describe how water that has been boiled and then cooled does not aggravate the water element in the body. It becomes less heavy when we sort of cook water. And what I love to do is put uh, a few of those digestive spices into a pot of water and make some herbal water and sort of sip that warm throughout the day. So it's mm. it replacing our water bottle with a flask that will keep water warm, not hot, but just like a little bit warm or even room temp if people feel, feel hot. And that will increase the digestion throughout the body, it will unplug the channels, it will help us digest fats and ghee like you described. And it's just such a great thing. I'm not sure that we realize the effects of how often we drink water. And if the water that we drink is being served cold in the cold time of year, that's having a pretty pervasive effect on us throughout the day. Mm, beautiful advice, particularly in the winter when the foods are heavier you wanna do everything you can to keep that digestion strong. And cold water, just think about putting cold water on any food, any dish you have, pour cold water on it, and you're not gonna to wanna to eat it, you know? Yeah. This has yeah. been great. Kate, everybody, the book is called The Everyday, Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook. Um, thank you for our fall winter tips. Kate, we'll have you back and we'll do this again. Does that sound good? That sounds great. It's fun yeah. to talk with you. Thanks for all your great work. Really appreciate it. And um, thanks so much. Yeah, same to you.